All right, here's what it says in God's word. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and they led him away and they delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Jesus, are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests they stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So reads God's holy and precious word, you may be seating, seated. It is in this passage that we're confronted with one of the most heinous events, one of the most heinous acts in all of human history. But today we will focus on the scandalous events that led up to the cross. Together, will seek to understand the profound injustice of Jesus' trial. I'm going to do my very best to help you to grasp the depth of this injustice, to see how the very forces of evil conspired against the Savior in a way that would defy comprehension. Yet as we ponder the depths of this wickedness, we will also be able to take a glimpse at the glory of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Of course, we cannot truly grasp the horror of what transpired without considering the brutality of Jesus' scourging and death. So I invite you to join us for this Friday service, the Good Friday service, where we will remember the ultimate sacrifice of our Lord. We're going to go into that in depth 
on Good Friday. So with that in view, I want you to take a look at verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, morning meaning about between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m. on Friday, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and they led him away and they delivered him over to Pilate. As Jesus is encircled now by his adversaries, the, the, the accusations against Jesus are escalating. At first, you may recall that he was charged with blasphemy back in the 14th chapter of Mark, verses 64, which, of course, was not a, couple, uh, uh, was not a capital offense, which would have been of no concern to Pilate. Pilate will only care about accusations that are related to treason against the Roman government. Yet, the religious leaders, fueled by jealousy, fueled by hatred, held their early morning meetings to concoct a suitable charge. It was through this strategy they were able to create a fabricated charge of treason that would, in fact, warrant the death penalty. So as the first rays of sunlight break through the sky, they make their move. Jesus is seized, he's bound, and now he's being dragged away. Consider yourself in the scene. Remember when Pastor Blake gave the narrative of Jesus' previous arrest from Mark 14, 48, and Jesus said to the soldiers, why do you come here with clubs, spears, and swords? Do you think that I'm some kind of a criminal? Do you think I'm some kind of a robber? Didn't Jesus, back in that account, go with them quietly? He certainly did. So the religious leaders' actions were an attempt to do something to Jesus. Ultimately, they want him killed, but in the meantime, they could settle with Jesus being humiliated. It was evident in their decision to tie him up, even though he had gone with them previously quiet. Their intent, even here, is pure evil. They wanted to shame Jesus, mock Jesus, and ultimately humil humiliate Jesus for everybody to see. There he is, the king of the Jews. This is why they brought a bound Jesus before Pilate, so that they could charge him with treason, and it's now on the table. So Pilate asks the question in verse 2, remember the charge is now treason. Is it true or not? Pilate's going to find out. That's why he asks the question in verse 2, and it says, are you the king of the Jews? Are you, Jesus, king of the Jews? Now, the way in which Jesus responds will assist Caesar. Remember, he's the governor. He's in charge. He's the authority. This will assist Caesar in determining if he is guilty of treason, and that will decide whether Jesus lives or dies, at least from the perspective, perspective of Caesar. So Pilate again asks the question, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. In other words, you have said it. You have said it. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, have you no answer to make? Do you see how many charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. His life was on the line. 
He was going to be killed for this charge of treason. And he's sitting there and he's not saying a word. You see, people whose lives are on the line, they say words and many words. They plead and they beg, not Jesus. Not Jesus. The Roman governor is, was taken aback by Jesus. For Jesus was like anyone they'd ever encountered, of course. Who would act in such a manner? Pilate was accustomed to dealing with prisoners who were vocal, agitated, or intimidated, but he had never encountered a prisoner who remained silent and steadfast, even when provoked directly. It was a remarkable sight that left the governor completely astonished. Can we make it personal just for a moment? Have you ever been mocked? Have you ever been shamed, humiliated? What does that feel like? I'm not trying to draw a comparison to you and Jesus. I'm just asking the question from a personal level. What would you do? For those of you with experience, what did you do? What if you had the power to get justice immediately? What would you do? I know what I would do. Let's just let that sit for a second. I know what I would do. And you know what you would do. Jesus was innocent. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he was made... For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So why? Why would God, why would Jesus just sit there and be humiliated and be falsely accused? Hey, there's one thing I don't like to be called. That's a liar. He's falsely accused. And he's sitting there. Why? Because he was being submissive to his mission. It was about his mission, not somebody else's. It was about the cross. He was submissive to his mission. So in this world that's shrouded in darkness and despair, Jesus emerges onto the scene to bring light and hope. The mission of Jesus is to eradicate sin and death. He was the one who was born from humble beginnings. He was the one that was in the manger. He is that carpenter from Nazareth who grew up to be a teacher and did all those miracles. He performed the signs and wonders that astounded all who saw them, and now they're astounded because he won't even say a word. But Jesus was no mere mortal. He was, in fact, the very Son of God, sent to earth on a mission, sent to earth on a mission of redemption and restoration. Some of you today can get free of whatever it is you're going through, Christian or non-Christian, you can get free. God can restore you and bring about redemption to your life. These words are powerful. These are not just words on a paper. You see, the Bible tells me that as I preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel, that that coupled with the Holy Spirit can radically take your life over. And you won't know what hits you. 
Because God's power, God's word has the power to get into the heart and the marrow and just disrupt things in a good way. Someone say amen. So with power and authority, he preached the truth of God's word, Jesus did. He was the one who called sinners to repentance and faith. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, and he comforted the brokenhearted, and he still does. Yet his enemies, through all of this, all of these things that he's done, his enemies were many. He's collecting many more enemies. They're seeking to silence him and derail his mission. They've accused him falsely. They beat him mercifully, and soon they're going to nail him to a cross. And we'll learn that on Friday. But Jesus did not come to this earth to be defeated because we know Easter's coming, right? Sunday's coming. On the third day, he rose from the dead, triumphant over sin and death, and fulfilling his mission to save the world. That salvation is on the table for those who repent of their sins and place their faith in him. And I've been praying for some of you that don't know Jesus that today God would draw you unto himself. And at the end of this service, you'll get a chance to respond to what you've heard. And I pray, I pray with humility and from the bottom of my heart that someone today would trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Please, God, bring him to a saving faith. But this is the story of Jesus. This is the mission of Jesus. The one who came to redeem humanity and bring salvation to all who believe. And his mission continues today through you. Those of you that are in Christ, his mission continues through you. It's you Christians who carry that torch of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Again, Jesus is being submissive because of his mission. Do you know your mission? Jesus knew his. Do you know your mission? But again, taking you back to the scene. Imagine that scene. Pilate is questioning Jesus. Jesus is remaining silent despite the multitude of accusations against him. Jesus is at cross purposes. Jesus is at cross purposes right now. Had he tried to win the argument, he could have taken these guys out for a ride. Have you ever in your life, if you read God's word, have you ever came across a passage where Jesus lost an argument? Yes or no? No. Had he tried to win the argument, he would have gone off mission. Think about Jesus. If he would have cried out for help, if he would have said, I'm sick of this, you bombastic fools. All it would have taken was a single word, a single command, and the heavens themselves would rend open and they would tremble. All he would have to say is, heavens fling wide and the gates of heaven would have come wide open. Everything Jesus would have needed would have been there, but that's not what he needed. He was on mission. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to remain silent. His lips were sealed. It was a, it was, his lips were sealed tight, and it's part of the plan. The redemption story is unfolding as it was predetermined in eternity past. It is all part of the plan. He's executing the plan. The angels, think about these angels. We would have called on those angels. 
They would have been poised for battle. They would have, but now they're putting away their swords. Their obedience to their king is unwavering. If he says don't go, they won't go. This is what's happening here. Can we just pause and take it in? Jesus is demonstrating the power of restraint. And he's modeling to us such a deep love that we will never comprehend in the midst of facing the greatest injustice, the greatest darkness that has ever been placed upon a person. It's dark, it's evil. Imagine this crowd, these people, being worked up by the antagonist Satan himself. This is a flat-out rage. They hate him. This isn't, I kind of dislike you. They hate Jesus. It's the greatest injustice, the greatest darkness the world has ever known. Back to Pilate. He's caught in the middle of a dispute that he thinks is trivial. Pilate is viewing the Jewish leaders as petty and jealous. He is aware that Jesus has not committed a crime worthy of the death penalty under Roman law. He knows they're full of it. Pilate, it would seem, is looking to try to release him. You know you're evil when Pilate makes you look like you're not. So even as Pilate seeks to, re seeks to release him, the crowd has other plans. And what are the plans? What does the crowd, what does the mob, what are their plans? Well, we see it in 6 through 10. Let me read it to you. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Now, Pilate is a savvy politician. You know any savvy politicians in California? However, on this day, even the savviest of politicians has not considered or has not understood the influence that the religious leaders have with the crowd. Let's look at our remaining verses, 11 through 15. But the chief priest... They stirred up the crowd. Let me say that again. The chief priests, they stirred up the crowd. They stirred them up to release, to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So instead of Jesus, they want Barabbas. Let him go. And Pilate again said to them, 
Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You may recall that this is the same crowd. Crowds are fickle, aren't they? It's the same crowd who celebrated the teachings and the miracles of Jesus, and this same crowd is demanding that he would die. The chief priests, they manipulate the crowd. They manipulate the crowd and demanding the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Despite Pilate's questioning of the accusations against Jesus and his declaration of Jesus' innocence, the crowd continues to call for Jesus' crucifixion. Can you imagine the roars of this crowd? So Pilate, in order to satisfy the demands of the people, tell me if this isn't politics, 101. So Pilate, in order to satisfy the demands of the people, he gives in and orders the release of Barabbas while delivering Jesus to be scourged and ultimately crucified. An innocent man is going to die. So in the end, Pilate is not concerned about justice. He satisfies the crowd at the cost of justice. Ultimately, what we're seeing here is a mob rule mentality we're seeing that in the United States of America. We're seeing that in Europe. We're seeing it everywhere. This is a mob rule mentality, and it highlights the sinful nature of humanity and the willingness to reject the truth in favor of worldly desires. Tell me what's changed. And you and I are the light in the dark world. Mark Twain said this, public opinion is held in reverence. It settles everything. Some think it's the voice of God. I don't, but many do. I want to give you an example of a mob mentality from the Word of God. We see this example from the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, when Moses was leading Israel into the promised land. You remember that the spies, they came back with a bad report. God can't help us. We've went and we've looked. God can't help us. And we're going to die because those people are bigger and stronger. And what did the people do? They began to incite fear into the community. They incited a desire to go back to Egypt. They wanted a new leader. But yet there were two spies that resisted and said that God is with us and we can take the land. And that was Joshua and Caleb. It was their stand for God and his purpose and his plan that led to the mob wanting to stone them. 
when you go with the mob, most of the time, you're going against the Lord. If it seems like the world wants it, then run. Run. But there's an irony in this account. There's numerous. The ironies in this passage are are just mind-blowing. I know D.A. Carson basically wrote a book about that, but I want to share with you some of the mind-blowing and some of the things I think are worthy to mention about the ironies in this passage. I'm going to highlight five examples. The one who was mocked as king is truly the king. The one who is mocked as king is truly the king. The one who appears powerless is truly powerful. As they mock his kingship, the prophecies of his kingdom come true. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. Pilate, listen to this one, Pilate exercises authority as judge over Jesus, but Jesus is actually the king of kings who will judge. Irony. Pilate says he's innocent of Jesus' blood, but the only way one could be innocent is to be washed by his blood, Jesus' blood. The irony. So Pilate's question in verse 2, are you the king of the Jews, was exceptionally fitting. In the parallel account found in John's Gospel, chapter 18, further details of this conversation between Pilate and Jesus are provided, including Pilate's exact question. Jesus uses this moment back in John to shift the discussion, proclaiming that he came into the world to bear witness to the truth, and that all who hear his voice are of the truth. It is noteworthy that Jesus redirects the conversation this way, asking Pilate if he truly wants to understand Jesus' mission and purpose. Understand again, he's not trying to save himself. But is the long arm of the Lord trying to save another? I don't know. I don't know. Something's going on here. In this conversation, in this conversation, it would appear Jesus is saying, you want to understand my mission and purpose? Is that what you're getting at? I want to take a moment to reflect and consider some important questions. What is the purpose of the Lord's presence here? What in fact brought him to this particular scene? What brought him there? What is his purpose? Why did he come? The answers may vary because Jesus himself has stated different reasons in different contexts. In the book of Mark, he declared, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. At other times, he proclaimed, I came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. 
again, context, again. However, during Jesus' trial, when his life was at stake, he expressed, expressed a clear and direct response to why I am here. I want to read John's Gospel, 18, 37 through 38. I think it's important. John 18, 37 through 38, a parallel account. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Listen, why'd you come, Jesus? To bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate responds with what is truth. The Son of God is standing right in front of him. What is truth? R.C. Sproul provides some insight here. He says that Pilate seems to be sobered by Jesus in this very moment. And he asked Jesus, what is truth? And how ironic that when the truth incarnate was standing right in front of him. And yet he asks, what is truth? Pilate has given his verdict and he's found no fault in him. The truth. Is there anybody here that wants to know the truth? It's in God's Word. Leonard Ravenhill, talking about truth, said this. He said, truth has fallen in the streets. And we have opted for convenience over conviction, compromise over courage, and popularity over principle. God, would you give us an unshakable commitment to truth in our hearts and in our homes and in our pulpits, that we may be the salt of the earth and the light of this world. Let's go back to verse 7 in Mark's Gospel. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. The contrast between Jesus and Barabbas was as simple as light and darkness. Barabbas was released. Barabbas is darkness. And Jesus, who was light, was chosen to be crucified. That's what the mob does. But according to the book of Matthew, Barabbas was his last name. His first name was Jesus. You see, the mob, the religious elite, they did not want Jesus, the Son of God, Listen, they wanted another Jesus. They longed for a different version of Jesus. One who would not challenge them or convict them. They needed a Jesus. They wanted a Jesus. They desired a Jesus that would belong to the world. For 2,000 years, the world has been crying out for a different Jesus. But God is who He is. He's not who we want Him to be. He is who He is. He sits in the heavens and He does as He pleases. 
Do you want the God of the Bible? Do you want the Savior King? And I know many of you do. The religious leaders, they could not control them. The religious leaders, they, they, since they couldn't control him, they, they couldn't turn him. They, they couldn't make him to be the Messiah they wanted him to be, so they killed him. You see, they were looking for a Messiah, but they thought the Messiah would look a certain way. And I'm going to give you scripture to depict what they were looking for and why they couldn't see that he was right in front of them. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, Jeremiah 23, 5, and 6 says, a political leader they were looking for who would overthrow the Roman rule and reestablish the Davidic kingdom. They were looking for a military leader who would lead Israel to victory against their enemies. That's what they're looking for. They were looking for a priestly figure who would who'd restore the temple and the priesthood. And today in the United States of America, many today are looking for a president to save us. If you are looking for a president of the United States to save us, you are looking in the wrong direction. They will sell you out for money, for, for anything. Don't look to presidents. Look to the king, King Jesus. Look to the king, King Jesus. No president can save only Jesus. That's why I love that song. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. However, again, going back to what they were looking for, they had these expectations that were so focused on the physical. They were focused on this earthly kingdom, and they missed the spiritual aspect of the Messiah's mission. They missed his mission. The Messiah had a mission, and they missed it. This is prophecy being Fulfilled. Remember Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. It's right in front of him. It's prophetic and they can't see it because they want what they want. Their hearts are hardened. They're not open to anything. They want what they want. They want the world system and they want it fast and they want it now. And Jesus was a disruptor of those things. You see, the world, one of the things the world does is it opens up our heart, and Jesus says, what do you want? Do you want another slice of that, or do you want me? Because when you have a slice of the world, you keep going back for another slice, and it overtakes you. Or do you want me? Do you want me? Do you want me? They did not anticipate that the, they were not looking for a suffering servant who would offer his life as a sacrifice especially for the sins of the world. They did not understand that the Messiah's kingdom was not of this world. That was not what they were looking for. And what are you looking for? What are you looking for? What am I looking for? Are we looking for Jesus and are we looking to Jesus? I heard recently about a devastating fire that swept through this farm community, actually in central California. This fire left destruction everywhere. And amongst the ashes, a firefighter who, firefighter who stood on a tree stump, he looks down and he kicks what he thinks is a bunch of ash. And as he kicks it, it kind of just falls over. I mean, everything just starts to, you know, the ash kind of goes everywhere. 
But as he kicks it, he looks down and he noticed something. And here's what he noticed. He noticed that there was a, a hen, a chicken. And the chicken was like charcoal. But as he lifted underneath, two little chickens came out, alive. Isn't that a great depiction of who God is? That we see like this world is totally broken. It's so dark, it's crusty. But yet there's two live ones. As we kick kick over the rocks, Jesus has protected. What a great illustration of the grace and the kindness of God. Just imagine how God wired up that hen to do that. Only God. Beloved, the same with us. Because Jesus was submissive to his mission and sacrificed himself for us, we have been given new life. But here's the question. What, Jesus, do you want? Today, I just, just metaphorically speaking, I want you to just, let's, let's all go right now and stand before Pilate and put ourselves in the scene. And then he asks you the question, not your neighbor, but he asks you the question, what shall I do with the king? What would your answer be? What shall you do with the king? Do you want the Jesus of the Bible? Or do you want the Jesus of the world? I believe the Lord would tell us, choose this day whom you will serve. Some have come in today and they're utterly broken. Louise and I have spent time with or understood so many of your stories in the last two weeks, and I'm telling you, there are so many that are broken and going through just things that if I just think about them, it would overwhelm me. There have been times when I've gone to bed at night where I'm just overwhelmed by what some of the pain and the stuff that you're going through, and it's my joy and my honor to partner with you in prayer, but it's just so much. And you're broken. And that's okay. There's a quote that I don't know who said it, but I just want to give it to somebody here. I know many of you, but there's others I don't know. Here's the quote. God will put you back together right in front of the people who broke you. Can I say it again? God will put you back together right in front of the people who broke you. I'm going to trust that today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God has moved and challenged you by the heavy cost of Jesus staying on mission. And that is radical love. For there is no greater love than this, than one who would lay down his life for us. That is the God of the Bible. So as we come on Friday, Friday is going to be Good Friday, and it's it's a little bit more of a somber service. I just want to set it up for you. We know that Sunday's coming, but for that day, I want you to experience Good Friday. 
This is not a time where we come in and run around. This is a time where we're serious and we just reflect on that cross. Come prepared. The service will be at 7 o'clock. I know some of you are travel freeways. Take the day off. Tell your boss that you're going to church, but come. Come. Let's be a family and do that together. And then Sunday, we'll kick the doors off this place. We'll kick the doors off this place. So be prepared. God's going to do something significant. So at this time, I want to call the worship team up. And I just want to invite any of you who need prayer today if there's anything that I said in this message that you want to talk to me about or anybody else, or you just want to confess sin, or you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time, you want to recommit your life to Christ, you want to be participate in a baptism, which is going to happen about a month from now, or you just need prayer because I'm going through this, or I want to pray for my grandson or my son or whatever it is, we're going to be here to support you. So as the prayer team, as the worship team begins to play, Worship team, as soon as they start to play, come up. And my wife Louise and I will be right here, ready to pray for each of you, okay? Allow me to pray. Father God, we love you in this house. You are worthy to be praised. And we thank you, Lord, that you stayed on mission. You paid the price. You did not waver. And we're the recipients of your goodness and your kindness your grace. We also thank you for the privilege of taking the Lord's Supper as a church family, how precious that was. Help us, Lord, to slow down during the Lord's Supper, to really remember. May we be like our friend Corky, who's in glory with you, who just couldn't get over what the Lord's Supper was and what it represented. May we also slow down and experience that. For the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us to, rem to remember what we need to remember. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. I'm grateful for you. Prayer team, please come up.